also on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, go ahead and like us and you'll get all of the updates from the church and what's going on. And you can also click and see that video anytime you want to. Won't that be special? <clears throat> anyway, he, Everyday Heroes of the Faith is based on this particular passage of scripture. Paul writes to the church of Corinth and says, because he's trying to help them realize that they don't have to be superheroes. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The weak things of the world to shame the strong. He says, you know, God didn't call you because you're the smartest, the most important, the prettiest, the richest. You're just people. You're going to be here for a while, you're going to do great work, and then you're going to be gone. And after a little while, nobody will even know you were here. Now, if that bothers you, then that's just the way it is, guys. The world is made up of just ordinary people, and God takes those ordinary people, people just like you and me, and he does incredible things with them. Here's the everyday heroes in Scripture that we've looked at already. There was, first of all, the little boy with the, with the loaves and fish. By the way, let me stop. Notice you have no sermon notes today. Okay, let me, there's a reason for that. What we were going to be talking about and the way we were going to present it changed Friday morning. Okay? Because of what happened in Connecticut, I had to set aside where we were headed. We're still going to touch the same points, but it, and so we don't have the sermon notes. You're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. You're going to have to decide what you want to write down. It's almost like high school all over again. Yes, there will be a test next period. Here we go. Anyway, here's the, uh, the everyday heroes. We looked the little boy and the fish. Remember, our, we don't even know his name. He just came with the little, with the fish and the loaves. And what happened? You know, five, ten, fifteen thousand people are fed. Andrew, the brother of Peter, when he meets Jesus, the first thing that he does is go get his brother. The very first thing he does is go get his brother. Stephen, the man who died for his faith, but he didn't know he was going to die for his faith that day. He was just testifying, and it wasn't until the very end that he realized this is pretty serious, and they killed him. John Mark, a young man who uh, went out on a missionary journey and, and failed. He got cold feet, apparently, went back home to Mama because he couldn't take it, and then tried it again. And because he tried it again, he became an incredible member of the early church, even one to write the first gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Mark. Joseph, you don't know him as Joseph, you know him as Barnabas, which means, what does Barnabas mean? It means what? Son of encouragement. The whole church, and now the whole world, knows him by his nickname. Son of encouragement, that's what he was. And then last time we got together was Ananias. Ananias was that disciple who was praying and after God had, had saved Saul, who was on a mission to destroy and kill all the Christians, and scales were over his eyes and he's praying, God goes to a man named Ananias and says, I want you to go pray with Saul. And Ananias says, basically, you're kidding. Do you know what this guy has done? As if God didn't know. And God said, yeah. Ananias actually had to go pray for Saul. This was a man who had letters from the authorities to arrest all Christians so that they could be killed. And he's got to go pray for him. That was Ananias. This is what we've learned so far. Ready? We'll go right through it quickly. Everyday heroes of the faith, from all the everyday heroes we looked at, know this. They know that Jesus won't do anything with nothing. Brownies. Give them brownies. And look what Jesus Christ does with it. Okay, Jesus can do anything with nothing. He just won't. He works in cooperation with us. We faithfully give. He uses that. He builds his kingdom. 
Everyday heroes of the faith don't focus on doing great things for Jesus. They trust Jesus to do great things with the little that they faithfully give. Don't wake up every day saying, I want to do something big for Jesus. Just do something for Jesus. Jesus is able to take whatever you do and turn it into something phenomenal. They take a personal stand for Jesus against the lies of the world, just as what Stephen did. They say, okay, there's a personal stand that's going to cost you something. If you have a stand on one of those moral issues, but it doesn't cost you anything, that's good. That's not too bad. But everyday heroes take a stand that's going to cost them. It's going to cost them money. It's going to cost them time. It'll cost them relationships. It costs you something. Everyday heroes of the faith may give in, just like Mark. But they don't give up, just like Mark. Okay, so you blew it. Welcome to the club. Remember what scripture says? We all stumble in... Could you say that with me again? We all stumble in many ways. One more time. We all stumble in many ways. That's a direct quote from the Word of God. Okay? That's not something I wrote. It's from the book of James. Just reminding us. Tony Campolo, I love the way he puts it. He says, the trouble with most of us is we're too much like the rest of us. Okay? We all stumble in many ways. Okay? But you don't stay down there. You fall, you get back up. Everyday heroes of the faith never, ever give up, even if they give in. Everyday heroes of the faith, like Barnabas, try to bring out the best in the people that they need. And what we saw last week is they are willing to do things for the Lord they really don't want to do. It isn't about you or what you want. Sometimes the Lord is going to ask you to do something you're not comfortable with. It means getting up in front of people. It means teaching a class. It means giving more than you think that you can. It means volunteering your time. Yep. Everyday heroes of the faith are willing to do... Now, the good news is our Father normally asks us to do things that we really enjoy. But every now and then, He says, now I need you to... Everyday heroes of the faithful. Remember, it may take you a while because what we're trying to do is reduce, what was it called? Our lag time from the time we know we should do something to the time we actually do it. We want that to get smaller and smaller and smaller. This morning, we're going to finish it up by looking at a man named Simeon. There are several Simeons in the, in the Bible, so we won't even go through them, but this one plays a very interesting and important role in the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. Here it is. This is after Jesus has been born. This is after Mary and Joseph had traveled down to Bethlehem. Jesus had been born. The angels have done their thing. Shepherds have been to visit them. Now, about seven days later, they're taking Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, which is what they were supposed to do. Just as we have baby dedications here, they did the same thing, but they did them in the temple. And we pick up the story. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Okay, you get the story. Simeon is a righteous man, loves the Lord, hanging out in the temple because God said and promised to him. He promised, look, you're going to see the Messiah in your lifetime. You will see the Messiah. By this point in time, Simeon's an old man. You wonder, did he ever say, did I get that one right? There's no indication of that. He just showed up in the temple, led by the Spirit, Let's go on. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, the dedication, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Could you remember that phrase? Sovereign Lord, as you have... Say that with me. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Right there. 
Don't forget that. Now dismiss your servant in peace. Okay, in other words, I'm ready to die. You, you fulfilled your promise to me. You said I'd get to see the Messiah. And, okay, he's a baby. But there he is. And now, Lord, I'm ready. And here's why. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to, his, to Mary, his mother, <clears throat> this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. He looks at Mary and Joseph and says, that's it. God promised that I'd see. Here he is. Wow. He's going to be the salvation. Then he looks at Mary and says, you know, this child will be great. And because of him, there will be many who will rise to power and there will be many who will fall. And there will be many who will oppose him. Oh, and by the way, Mary, sometime in your life, because of this child, it's going to feel like somebody took a knife and ran it right through your heart. How's that for a blessing? But that's what he said. Sometime, Mary, in your life, because of this child, it's going to feel exactly like someone took a sword and jammed it in your gut. Hmm. What does all this tell us about everyday heroes of the faith? Because Simeon was one of those everyday heroes who had a promise from God, even though he's very old at this point, almost at the point of death, obviously. He never gave up. He always understood. He always believed. He waited and he waited, and here it is. Ready? Everyday heroes of the faith build their lives on the promises of the Lord. If God promises you something, you build your life on it, and you live that every single solitary day. Every day of your life is built on the promise of the Lord. Or you want it another way? How about this? We're in it for the long haul. We're in it for the long haul. When we become a Christ follower, when we decide to follow Jesus Christ, when we, when we come to him by faith and our sins are forgiven by faith and he redeems us and he wipes the slate clean and we begin that journey with him, we are in it for the long haul. At least we should be, except many of us, by the way, we start our whole journey looking for this. Solutions. Something is broken in our lives. Our marriage is broken. My health is broken. My finances are broken. I feel guilty. And we come to God and we look for solutions. Please solve my problem. Almost everybody starts right there. Maybe it's just because you don't want to go to hell. And you're looking for a solution to that problem. Because it's a big problem. And you come to God. The problem is, if you stay there... If you just live in, the, in that solution-oriented relationship, it's not going to work for you. You're going to walk away. You will not be in it for the long haul. You're in it for a short-term solution. And one of two things is going to happen. Either your, your problem will be solved, your marriage will be restored, your health is restored, your finances are restored, or whatever it is, and then as soon as that happens, you go, okay, thanks a lot, see you later. It's like going in for a haircut. I don't live at the barbershop, you can tell, right? Yeah. <laughs> I go in there, get a haircut, I leave. Lots of people go into that relationship with God, get their problem solved, they leave. Or they don't get it solved. 
Their marriage doesn't come back. Their finances stay broken. Their health isn't restored. And they say, it isn't worth it. It doesn't work. And they're gone. Those who remain, those who understand our everyday heroes, who can build their life on the promises, they understand this, that Christianity is a way of life. Not just an end to your temporary problems. It is a way of life that starts now, and it doesn't end ever, ever, ever. It goes for all eternity. You build your whole life on those promises. Paul put it this way to the church in Rome. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so the grace may increase? In other words, okay, you got your sins taken care of, and they're forgiven. Now what do you do? You go back and you sin some more, right? Because you always, you always come back next week and get them all taken care of. Is that the way we're supposed to live? Kind of just running back and forth to get our, our sin issues taken care of. It's a solution side. By no means. It's really stronger than that in the Greek. Absolutely not. God forbid. There's hardly good English words to, to describe it. We died to sin. How could we live to it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It isn't about getting your problems solved. Some of the problems you're facing right now may not be solved in this life. It's about a whole brand new way of life. That's what we're doing. That's how we're living. And it's a life for the long haul. It's, it's this. It's a new direction built on the promises of God. The whole Christian walk isn't about coming to get problems solved. It's about a brand new way of life built on His promises. Because His promises do not fail, even if it takes a long, long time to be fulfilled. When did God promise Simeon that he was going to see the Messiah? We have no idea. Years and years and years earlier. And so he was faithful and said, I'm going to see it, I'm going to see it, I'm going to see it, and he waited. This is what Scripture says. Because Paul is talking to the church in, in Corinth, and he's talking about people who kind of, you know, waver back and forth, and he says, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. In other words, he doesn't go, maybe, well, maybe God is with you, maybe not, maybe things will work out, maybe they won't, maybe God, no, it's just yes. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. Yes, in Jesus Christ, the promises of God are yes. It's the exclamation point. He goes on to say this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are what in Christ? Yes. How do you know God's promises are real? Jesus came. How do you know God's promise about the world is real? Jesus was here. Jesus is the exclamation point. The yes that God's promises are real. And so through him the amen is spoken. What does amen mean? So be it. God makes a promise. Jesus comes along. So be it. Whatever promise God made is sure and certain because of Jesus Christ. There it is. Now, this is a promise from God you hear a lot this time of year. It may seem a little out of place today. The angels, when Jesus was born, gathered together to sing. How could they not? How could they not? 
God the Son has come to this world, somebody had to rejoice. The whole world should have shouted. But someplace, somewhere, you got to give God the Father this. If you're proud of the birth of your own children and you want to shout it to the world, he can't shout it to the world like that. It was going to have to be fate. But you got to give him one little group of angels to a small group of shepherds. And they said this, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. This morning as we speak, the Middle East is falling apart. Egypt is voting on a constitution that may send them down the path of being strict Islamists, which surely won't be good for us. The reign in Syria is uh, crumbling. There's even talk that he might use um, chemical weapons against his own people, in which case we would have to respond. Some of our young men and women would be lost in that conflict. Friday morning. A young man takes weapons from his mother and after killing her drives to a school where he murders 20 first graders. All of them shot multiple times along with six adults, the teachers, the aides, the principal, before taking his own life. I was struck by, by watching the, uh, the coverage. I was watching NBC News that night, and there was the anchor, because, of course, this isn't very far from New York City. He was able to drive and have a live shot, and there he is, telling us this story, and behind him, you know what, what I see? Christmas decorations. The whole town is decked out in Christmas with wreaths and lights. Wow. <laughs> Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Where is it? Where is it? Well, how about this? That is a promise from God. But it's not a promise today. Many of the promises that God makes to us are promises that are going to come true and they will come true. It doesn't mean that we realize them here and now. Everyday hearers of the faith understand the promise of God. They build their life on the promise of God. But they're willing to wait for the promise of God. Even if it kind of ticks them off from time to time. We are willing to wait for the promise of God. There will be peace on earth, goodwill towards men. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. It is coming. But while we wait for it, we will have to suffer the good and the bad. Remember what Simeon told Mary? Here it is. Simeon blessed him and said to mother, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising in, in Israel, many in Israel, and to be a sign spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Guess what? He is going to be the Messiah. He will save the world. But before all of that happens, it's going to kill you, Mary. And people will come against him. 
That's what's going to happen. But he's the Messiah. See, that's why this word is so important. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. You see, I know this. There is a promise from God. The promise is that when Jesus Christ comes once again, we are counting on the second coming of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes again, that's when all of this nonsense stops. That's when 20-year-old or whatever, how old he is, they don't go in and they, they kill children anymore. The gun violence is done. The drug violence is done. The wars are over. When Jesus Christ comes again, all of that ends. So my first reaction, every time I hear something like that, and, and I get this word that, that 20 little children have been shot multiple times by this idiot, I say, Maranatha! Come, Lord Jesus. It's our only hope. That's what we're looking for. I'm going to prove it to you from Christmas right now. I'm going to use Christmas carols. Do you understand that our good Christmas carols talk about the fact that this peace on earth, this hope, is something that we look forward to? It isn't something we experience now. Right now we have the presence of God. Right now we have the help that we need. But we don't have peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Not yet. But we will. Take a look at this Christmas carol. You know it well. It came upon a midnight clear. You probably don't even know all the verses. This is one of my favorites. It came upon a midnight clear, that glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. We all know that story. It's wonderful. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all-gracious king. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear. That's the Christmas story. It makes a little heart go, oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it's good. But then it goes on to say, but still through the cloven skies. In other words, today, even right now today, the angels are still singing. Did you think they stopped singing? They're still singing the song if you can hear it. With peaceful wings unfurled and still the heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lonely plains, they bend on hovering wing. And ever over its babble sounds, the blessed angels sing. Okay, God is still reaching out. But then here's the verse, ready? This is what tells me whoever wrote this one. He knew. But with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel's strain have rolled 2,000 years. The angels have been singing for 2,000 years, and there still is no peace on earth. And man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. And then some of the best advice you'll ever hear. And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with pain, painful steps and slow, look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. And why? How can we do that? How can we endure the death of 20 innocent children and there will be more to follow, won't there? This isn't the end of it. We'll hear this story again. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophet bards foretold, when with the ever-circling years shall come the age of gold. It isn't now. It isn't now. Maranatha. It isn't now. 
When peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and the whole world give back the song, which now the angels sing. Yeah, the angels sing it now. And a few of us sing it back, but the world doesn't yet. One day it will. One day Jesus will come back. All the violence is done. It's all over. And the peace of God reigns. One day. And so what do we say? We say this. Maranatha. Maranatha. Or how about this? This is a, this is a, a carol that you've heard, but you probably don't know the full story, and you, you probably haven't read the whole thing. This is by a man named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Let me tell you about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. You know him. You've been in school. He was a poet. He was living during the Civil War. And he experienced a great deal of grief during that time. The Civil War started in April of uh, 1861. That July of that particular year, his wife was um, mailing some letters and, and some um, ceiling wax, hot ceiling wax, landed on her skirts and they burst into flame. And she ran into the study where Henry was writing and they tried to put the flames out with a the rug. They couldn't. And so he did, the only thing he could do, he, he, he hugged his wife to put out the flames. She died the next day anyway. And he was so badly burned that from that point on, you see, whenever you see a picture of Longfellow, he's got that beard, it's because he can't shave anymore because of the pain. A couple years later, his son, his oldest son, is severely wounded in the Civil War. And he lives during a time when the war rages, and I know what happened Friday was tragic. Twenty young lives lost along with those. During the Civil War, we lost an average of 340 young men every day for 1,460 consecutive days. And in 1864, on Christmas Day, he writes this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how had this day has come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Still ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men here's the verse you never sing then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth goodwill to men this is the fourth Christmas of the civil war and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And here it is, how he ends it. This is phenomenal. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth. Could you say that with me right here? Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. 
The wrong shall fail. The right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men, but not today. At his second coming, all of this is going to take place. And so that's why we say together what? Maranatha. I'm going to give you a hymn right now that uh, actually isn't Christmas. It's not like, we'll get back to Christmas carols in just a moment. This is one that we normally sing right around uh, Thanksgiving time. It's one of, another one of my favorites, but that's because I happen to know the story behind it. It was written by a man named Martin Rinkert. Martin Rinkert, what a name, huh? He's a German pastor, a Lutheran pastor, who um, served during what's called the Thirty Years' War. If you're a historian at all, you know that that was the first truly world war all about religion, and it was the first time that there was truly carnage. Prior to that, all wars had been about gaining money or gaining territory, and they were bloody, but usually the uh, civilians were left semi-alone. But there's nothing as bloody as a religious war, because as soon as you bring God into it, you can never compromise and you can't quit, and your enemies are God's enemies, and you slay them all in his name. For the first time, the world saw carnage on an incredible scale. He pastored in this little town with a couple other pastors. And in um, 1637, there was a famine that hit that town. And they were all walled in. They couldn't go anywhere because of the armies outside. And during that year, 4,000 people died. He did 4,000 funerals because both the other pastors died, including also his wife. And there were days he did 50 funerals a day from his congregation. And when it was all done, this is what he wrote. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love, and still is ours today. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us, with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us, and keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed, and free us from all ills in this world and the next. All praise and thanks to God and Father now be given, the Son and him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal God, with whom the heaven adorned, for thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. Could you do that? How do you do that? You build your life on the promises of God, and you know that the promise is that in the next world, all of this is going to be gone. And right now, I've got his presence, I've got his help. And one day, it'll all be done. As hard and as difficult as it is right now, one day it will all be done. And you live your life that way every day. Every day. You build your life on the promises of God. And so it teaches to say what? Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. One day all this is going to be done. I don't understand it today, but one day, as a matter of fact, there is a hymn, we've already sung it today, and I'm going to blow you right out of the water, because it's not a Christmas carol. And yet, it's probably one of your favorite Christmas carols, but it's not a Christmas carol at all. It wasn't written about Christmas. You just didn't know that. 
Joy to the world is not about Christmas. It's not about his birth. Take a look at this. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him. Heaven and nature sing. Heaven and nature sing. And heaven, okay, it's wonderful. You go, yeah, that's great. But go on and let's take a look at what it says. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. No, he doesn't. If he reigned, 20 children wouldn't die. Let men their songs employ while fields, floods, and rocks and hills. And the whole world repeats the sound in joy. Does the whole world reach out and say, Jesus is Lord? No, it doesn't. Let's move on. No more let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is, the curse of Adam is still on us. It is still within this world. That's why children die. Last verse. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and the wonders of his love. And the... This is not a song about his birth. This is a song, whether you knew it or not, about his second coming. This is what will happen when he comes again. When we see him one more time, when he comes to this world one final time, it will be to establish a kingdom of of love and peace. It will be in a world where you can't do those things any longer. It will be a world ruled by Jesus Christ where he is Lord over it all and things that we had to go through this last week will not happen. But not till then. Amen. Not till then. So how do we, why do we even sing it at Christmas? It's crazy. Why do you sing this at Christmas? Come on, now you get to talk back to me. Or maybe you say, well, maybe we shouldn't sing that one anymore. We're going to sing it every Christmas. Why can't we sing it at Christmas when it has nothing to do with his birth? It has to do with his second coming. You tell me why, except Carson, whose hand is up. I'll give everybody about 30 seconds, then you get to answer, okay? The hope. How about, let's go even beyond the word hope. I love the word hope. What is it? The what? The promise. When God makes a promise, it's done. When God makes a promise, it's over. When God says, my son is going to come and one day all of this will be done, it's done. We're just waiting around for it. I don't have to worry about it. It's just I can sing about it like it's happening now. That's how certain and sure it is. Remember this passage? For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Because Jesus has come, there is a promise that one day all of this nonsense that we're facing, everything from the fiscal cliff to the pain that's being expressed in Connecticut will be done. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. It'll all be over. And I can sing about it right now today because it's sure and certain. That's why everyday heroes of the faith build their lives on the promises of the Lord all their life, whatever he's promised. Is there going to be tough times of it? Oh, absolutely. Will we have to watch the carnage that we saw on Friday? Yes, we will again. There will be wars. There will be murders. There will be pain. Which is why every time I see it, this is what I say. What is it? Maranatha, Lord, win. Come, 
come, Lord Jesus. Let's get this over with. And he says, in my time. I can imagine Simeon saying, couldn't I see the, the, the Savior today, Lord? And he said, in my time, I'll get, oh, you'll see him, you'll see him. But in my time. And I see the pain, I hear ambulances go by, I see the, the homeless, and I go, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. And he says, in my time, I'm coming back. You just got to wait for it. Until then, this is what we do. We live for him. We celebrate the joys and we comfort the grieving. We do our best to damage, to limit the damage of evil through our governments and through our own actions. And when those problems come, we do what we can. We send money when we can. We we touch someone, we help, we volunteer. But all the time, what we're saying is this. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. There's not just room in my heart for thee. This world needs peace. And you're the only one that can bring it. One day you will. Maybe today. Come, Lord Jesus, we're ready. But we're also ready to wait for whatever you want. Let's pray. Father, over the next couple of days, the pictures of all these small children will be uh, published. And we can't even imagine what they went through and what their parents are facing, what the entire community is facing. If there's something that we here in Salem can do beyond just pray for them, Father, let us know and we'll do that. But, Father, we have tragedy also right here, close by. Not quite on that same scale, but the pain is just as real. And, Father, there will be some who will ask where you are in all of this. There will be some, particularly at this time of year, who will say that it mocks the entire Christmas message of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But, Father, that's a promise that you've made to us when your son returns. Jesus, when you come back, that's when it's all going to happen like that. Between now and then, Father, we pray that you grant the grace and the mercy and the strength to face those issues. Let us be helpful to one another. And when we see these tragedies, when we see the pain, let our first thought be Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. We are ready for you. But, Father, we're also ready to wait for whatever you would have. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We have um, a song I want to play for you. It's by Scott Wesley Brown. It's called This Little Child. This is during our Selah time. And uh, Gene, I'm going to ask if you would come and pray for our Selah because Gene, you leave tomorrow, don't you? And Gene will be gone till about the middle of March. They're on a much...